0: Hey, before we go to this podcast, let me say a few things about the mentorship group. As leaders, we know that we need the wisdom of a mentor to help us focus on what matters and avoid costly mistakes. Yet too often, finding that person we trust and who's experienced is impossible. And then if we do find them, then on the other side of the world, or it's too expensive, or they just don't have the time. I've been mentoring people now for over 30 years in a one-on-one basis. And at the start of this year, I've been thinking a lot about how I can mentor more people, how I can help more people. So, I have created an online community called The Mentorship Group. Here you'll be able to join me live for monthly group mentorship sessions. You can ask me questions, anything you like, whatever you are in the world, for a fraction of the cost that this would be in a one-to-one mentorship situation. You can be part of this new intimate conversational community, getting answers and breakthroughs and insights that all of us need. Everyone needs a mentor, so let me be yours head to www.thementorshipgroup.com and sign up today so that's the mentorshipgroup.com and I look forward to chatting with you all there. Hi Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, Communication, Growing Big People, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. Let me start by saying, I'm going to speak about serendipity tonight. Um, I was walking on the canal where I live recently, and uh, where I live, there are barges parked along the canal, and I was looking at the names of the barges. One of the badges was called serendipity. And I didn't know what that word meant. You know, you sometimes hear a word and you assume you know what it means or you think it must be something to do with that because of serenity or dipity. <laughs> <laughs> and you come up with your own definition, but, but you really think, oh, I'm not really sure what that means. And before I tell you what it means and what I want to say to you about this word tonight, I want to just say that, uh, and I didn't r- realize this till recently, And thought it's worth me saying this to you guys. I've had at least two significant encounters with God walking on the canal where I live. One was when I received my commissioning, and I've, I explained that to some here years ago when I taught a message about who will love the legacy. And I talked about my commissioning to do what I do now And uh, with regard to the circus that was there, how many were here and remember that message? I'll do it again then. (laughs) I think it's out there somewhere, who will love the legacy. And all of that that became transformational to my life and gave me clarity for what I should do with my life, having served others' vision all my life and not having one of my own, that was the day that I got my own clarity of my vision for my life, walking on that canal, saying to God, what do I do? I've served other men for 25 years. What am I supposed to do? And then on that day, on that canal, almost in the identical spot to where I saw the barge the other day, something happened. And I explained that in that message, and there was a big, big top and a circus, And, and that's when God began to say to me, what do you see? And I said, I see a circus, and what's the circus about? And I began to answer questions in my mind like the Old Testament prophets did. Uh, Jeremiah would see I see an almond tree I see a pot tilting and God would say what do you see and then he'd say it and God would tell him what that meant and interpret it to him and the bottom line was that God said to me don't build the circus don't build me a circus I've got enough of them build me a house but don't build me a place for entertainment don't build me a place where people come and people go don't build me a place where wild things are tamed build me a house And I became clear then in what I was supposed to do from that day on. And then a few years after that, as many of you know, in crossing over, it's where I was walking my dog on the canal, and I saw the piece of paper that had on the ground. You know, I said to God, do you want us to start a bus ministry? I'd read a book, and it mentioned bus ministry, and it was a big thing and a bad time to start a new idea in our church, because we were already losing lots of people and lots of money. I knew buses sounded expensive and stressful, and, uh, and I, I saw on the ground a piece of paper and I said, God, I need a sign I need something just between me and you To let me know I should do this And I saw a piece of paper And I picked it up It's a child's handwriting From a kid's textbook And it had three things written on that piece of paper Number one, transport is extremely important Number two, because of it Because of it, um, prosperity came to the city Number three, because of that The population exploded And I'm like this never happens to me. <laughs> so two occasions walking on that canal that I can think of. Many other times when I've uh, heard from God walking on that canal, but two significant things that I, that I went public about that I felt were significant to us all, not just me. And then the other day, uh, I don't think this is maybe in that league, but my point is that you don't need to go anywhere around the world a place where God's moving. You need to find a place where you live, and God will come and visit you there, uh, and save you the airfare. And I'm not against visiting places around the world. I think it's good to expand your life, expand your mind. Some of you have come here, and we visit places, but that is no substitute, and never can be a substitute for where you live, however mundane, and, and some have the beautiful oceans of California, And and some walk by the canals of Bradford. And God is no respecter of places. And if you find a place, if you nominate a place that is within easy reach of your normal routines to be there regularly, God will meet you there. And God will get said to you, and God will get to you the most important things you need in your life. He will get to you in the most unimportant mundane place. If God can feed Elisha with a raven and the raven can find him and the raven can go against his own nature by not swallowing the meat in its own beak as a meat-eating creature. If God can get a bird to do that and find without GPS where he is and drop meat there every day to keep him alive, don't you think God can come to where you live and meet you where you live in the normality of where you live, in the backwoods where you live, and that becomes a special place for you. And I've heard God more walking on that canal than I have in any special place around the world that is special to other people. I've learned a lot in traveling around the world, but tranquility breeds creativity. So find something that's your tranquil place and go there often. Don't go there looking for an agenda, just be there, just put yourself there, and while you're there, if there's things on your heart, talk them with God, and you might be surprised in that place what you come out with. Anyway, I'm just saying that to encourage you as leaders especially to find a place, and God will meet you there. Serendipity is an amazing, I think it's a lovely word, I thought that's a nice word, it's one I ought to find out what it means before I knew what it meant. Serendipity means to discover things by accident. It means to find by accident something better than what you were looking for on purpose. In Africa, and I didn't know this until I looked it up the other day, they have a bush called the serendipity bush. It has a serendipity berry on the bush. When you chew the berry, it makes sour things taste sweet. Therefore, it has this serendipitous quality of helping you discover something in the eating of the berry that's a shock once it is in your mouth and transforms bitter to sweet. I realized as I thought about this word that day and since then that the kingdom of God has been found by many, many people serendipitously. In other words, they were not looking for God, they bumped into him by accident. That would be according to their perception of things not according to God's omnipotent, all-knowing, timeless perspective. Nothing is an accident to God. Serendipity is not how God views our life, but it is how God operates in and through our lives is what I want you to see tonight. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, Like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again, sold all he had and bought the field. In other words, he's not looking For the pearl of great price or the special treasure he found in the field, but when he found it, he sold all he had to make sure that he owned that field and owned the treasure that he found. He stumbled by serendipity, as it were, on the kingdom of God. Many stumbled upon Jesus. The thief on the cross accidentally spent his dying hours with Jesus. He didn't plan that. He could never have planned his execution to be on the same day as the Son of God. But serendipitously, he found his last hours with the Savior who took him to heaven with him that day. Bartimaeus was doing what he did every single day at the same point, and just shouting out for arms and for help as a blind beggar. And serendipitously, Jesus came walking by that day on his way, leaving the town And the gates where he sat normally, to the gates of the town, he's coming by. He hears the noise in the crowd. He hears the name of Jesus. He knows that Jesus helps people like him, that he's a miracle worker. And he calls out, Jesus, Jesus, help me. And by accident it would seem, because he couldn't go and find Jesus. He had no means to travel to find him. He just sat in that one grubby place at the low end, at the bottom of the food chain, as it were, as far as society is concerned. And Jesus serendipitously came by and touched his life and lifted him and transformed his world. The man with the withered hand is just in the synagogue that day, not knowing Jesus is preaching. We have a guest preacher today. No other preachers prayed for the sick. No other preachers cast out demons. But that day, Jesus was due to speak. And that man had been coming to the synagogue with a withered hand all his life and no one had helped him. He was in the neighborhood of a miracle-working God, but he'd never received a miracle. And that day, as it were, by accident, him not looking for a miracle because he never had one in that church all his life. That day, something happened, something changed. His hand was healed, and that gave him back a lifestyle he could never have had with a withered limb all his life to that point. The centurion at the cross, by accident, was roted that day to be the one that officiated at the crucifixion of these three people crucified that day. And we know from the Gospels that he was so touched by Christ's behavior during his persecution and his beating and his crucifixion that when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do, the, the centurion comes under huge conviction and says, truly, this man must be the Son of God. And accidentally, as it were, serendipitously, he bumps into the Son of God and has a conversion experience. We never know what happened to him, but we know enough to know that that day he, by accident as it were, bumped into his destiny and to a new life. Simon of Cyrene was was commandeered by accident to carry the cross of Jesus, and we don't know who he was or much about him. He was just in the crowd that day, but he was the one that was picked out of the crowd to involve in Christ's life and Christ's journey. His name's recorded for all time throughout history, And all he was doing that day was just standing in the crowd. The ten lepers that were walking by Jesus and and were doing what they normally do and staying away from the crowds, and Jesus happened to intersect with them at a crossroads and touched them and healed every single one of them. The woman at the well was just drawing water and accidentally bumped into Jesus, and her life was changed. The cripple at the pool of Bethesda was just there like he was every other day, had been a cripple for 38 years, but that day something different happened. Jesus came by and serendipitously touched his life, as it were, by accident. He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for something to happen in the water, the way that he was told miracles happen. Didn't know any other way to get healed. And every year, year in, year out, he's waiting for his turn and someone to help him get into the water first when the angel stirred the water. And while he's looking this way, something comes from behind him, taps him on the shoulder and says, take it with your bed and go home. And by accident, as it were, he gets a miracle and gets a new life. The boy with the five loaves and the two fishes serendipitously is in the crowd that day and his his small meal is spotted. It is is offered to Jesus to feed the 5,000. We don't know his name, but we know that he stepped into the history books and we've preached sermons for thousands of years about that little boy's lunch that day. And We don't know his name and it was not planned and not organized except by God and serendipitously Thousands of people were helped by that boy's lunch. I want you to see before I'm done tonight that God has guided your life by serendipity more than you will ever realize. But tonight after I'm done, I want you to have an awareness of that that you've never had before so that for the rest of this year, you begin to look for it and expect it and plan for it and build a life that creates more of it in your world so what I want to show you tonight looking back my own conversion was so serendipitous it was unbelievable looking back only God you know you look back on your life don't you and you think only only God could come up with that ridiculous what are the odds kind of idea to get something done some of you are here serendipitously it's an accident that you're here you didn't plan to come It was a last-minute thing, and yet someone encouraged you, someone phoned you, someone paid for you to come because you couldn't afford, someone drove you here and paid you a ticket at the hotel. It was kind of not something you'd planned on doing, but now you're here, you're loving it, you're growing, you're thinking, wow, where has this been all my life? But you weren't planning to be here, but God knew you needed to be here, so serendipitously he set you up to get you here. Some of you have had major serendipity since you came on campus. You bumped into people that you never thought you would know and it's like a divine appointment where you've been all my life and, and you've heard things that you weren't looking for but when, when the word's been coming you weren't looking for that thought and that idea but as it was said something inside you went oh my gosh that completely helps me understand. What it is that I'm going through. Someone said to me today, You know, I want to thank you for what you said. It was only a few moments as you closed the meeting, but it so helped me to put into place what I was facing. And the lights came on, and I went, Aha! I had a eureka moment, but he didn't come looking for that. Keep your ears open this next 24 hours. Don't just be switched on in the moments when you think we are teaching. Keep your eyes and your ears and your heart wide open because serendipity operates when you're not realizing it's going on and I want you to have an awareness about something that I believe God is woven into the fabric of humanity. And I got saved at 15 years of age in a secondary school in a town called Dewsbury, not far from here, with no Christian background, no Christian heritage, no churchgoers in my family at all. Our family were professional PhD heathens. And I was at school and a and a school teacher Um, led me to Christ but he was a new teacher He, he, he was new on staff we'd never met him before and he came to teach RE religious education it was compulsory back then as some of you remember but his life and testimony and the way that he communicated these things that were boring with the other teacher somehow grabbed my attention but months later when I found out How he got the job. I look back and realize only only God. Because he'd just come out of teacher training college in South Wales where he'd qualified. He was a Welshman. He and his wife were from South Wales and he applied for a job in Dewsbury. And he didn't know till the day he came for, set up for the interview, that it wasn't Dewsbury where he thought it was in the country. He thought Dewsbury was in Kent. Not West Yorkshire. Ibargum. And when he told his wife, I've got my geography wrong, it's up in West Yorkshire. And all that they'd heard about West Yorkshire was that we all walk around in cloth caps and clogs, and we keep ferrets and pigeons, and we eat pork pies, and we say, I hope, love, which is not really too inaccurate, is it, for most of us (laughs) up here, I suppose, but it freaked them out, and they thought this was all like you know, the dark satanic mills of the old verse, and they don't want to be up here amongst that. And so he promised his wife, he didn't feel it was right to say, I won't come for the interview, but he promised his wife the day he set off to drive five hours north, six hours north almost to this school, he promised his wife, I will throw the interview. I will come across in a way that they will not want to employ me. And she said, well, how are you going to do that? He said, I'm going to be very open with them that I'm a Christian, that, that I'm not going to hide my faith. It, be, it beginning then to be not popular to do that in schools, the multi-faith thing beginning to kick in and, you know, got to be careful and, and all PC. And so he came up to Yorkshire, he drove all the way up. And as he got into the neighborhood of where the school was, realized my wife will die and kill me if I get this job, because this is an awful place to live and all the, the housing estates and so on and so on. And Came to the school and went for the interview and sat down with the headmaster and and, and when the headmaster said to him, "Well, Mr. Jones, what um, you know? Do you have any hobbies and interests? And, 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 and what what do you really feel you know in your vocation for teaching and for these young people in our school?" And kind of old seasoned headmaster, um, well up into his 60s, uh, early 60s. This guy now, I believe he was Mr. Haw. His name was very strict. Wore this big cloak as he walked through the school like Batman. And we were caned. I'd been caned a few times. And he was just this imposing figure, Mr. Hoare. He had big bushy eyebrows and a big mustache. Very intimidating. Always walked ramrod straight through the school. And he said to Mr. Jones, well, you know, what do you have any hobbies and interests? And tell me, you know, how will you be with the kids and what's your passion? Just trying to find out. And and this was his chance to throw the interview. And he said, well, Mr. Hall, I've got to tell you, I am a committed Christian. My wife and I are committed evangelical Christians. And we, you know, if I got this job, I I wouldn't hesitate to share my faith with the children. I wouldn't hesitate to preach Christ. Um, If I get this job at this school, especially with an RE lesson, I can't teach RE and teach the Bible if I don't teach it the right way. And so I wouldn't hesitate him knowing that that would be the very thing. That would shut him down, losing the job There were other candidates that were being interviewed On the same day, quite a number applied for the job And as he said that He told me months later As he said that, the headmaster begins to cry <laughs> Which is never a good sign When you're trying to throw the interview Turns out the headmaster is a backslider says, Mr. Jones, you are an answer to prayer. For so many years, I've been begging God to send me another staff member that is sympathetic to my faith. And he said, you have come all the way from South Wales today. He said, we need to talk no more. You've got the job. And he said, I went out of the office in this daze. I drove back to South Wales in a daze, thinking I I, I never said to him I don't want the job or let me think about it or what's the salary structure or is there a relocation he said I never asked any of the questions my wife would ask me and he said I'm dreading all the way back home there wasn't no, no cell phones those days to give advance warning I <laughs> was rehearsing he said I went through the door and I said to my wife she said Carol said to me well how did it go please tell me that we're not going to that awful place he said you better sit down I've got to tell you what happened. Wait, wait, give me some time. And he told her what I just told you. Cut a long story short about a month or so later, they moved into our town and began to teach RE in our school. And I was, I think, the first young person in the school to give my life to Christ. It was only a few weeks in after him teaching and my seeing something in his life that kind of woke me up inside and I remember saying, God, if this is real, if this guy's the real thing, if this is real, I'm going to give it a shot, was my first conscious prayer ever to God, as simple and as clumsy as that, and God seemed to understand it and get a hold of my life and begin to change me from the inside out, and I look back and I think, what a divine setup, what a serendipitous thing God pulled on him, he didn't come looking for a job, he came looking to not get the job. And I've realized that, that, that when, it comes to, when it comes to destiny, when it comes to knowing the will of God, God is really, really economical with detail. I don't like that any more than you do. I've told him it's wrong. And the reason God is sparse with detail when it comes to things that are massive to us is because, well, two things. One, he wants you to grow in problem-solving ability. I'll talk more about that tomorrow morning. And two, he wants to allow for serendipity. He wants to allow for things that you would never have planned for, would never have looked for, could never have imagined could happen. And God wants to allow for surprises. In fact, someone once said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what you've got planned. I think that's right well thanks again for listening to today's podcast I hope you found it beneficial and uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment and above all maybe subscribe to my podcast channel thank you